0: Here are a few things we know Joe Biden really hates. Amtrak train delays, not wearing sunglasses, and as we're now learning, non-compete employment clauses. Today we're gonna talk about why non-competes have rocketed up the president's dislike list, why not one but two federal agencies are now working on this, and what that means for workers and employers. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So think back to your first couple of days of whatever job you're working at right now. You probably had to sign a bunch of documents, right? Well, there's a not insignificant chance that one of those was a non-compete agreement. These agreements restrict what types of jobs you can take after you leave your current job. For example, if you work at an architecture firm, you might have to sign something when you start that says you won't work for any competing architecture firm for, let's say, a year after you leave. These agreements are meant to protect trade secrets and prevent poaching, and they've been around for a long time, but they're also pretty controversial. In recent years, states have started cracking down on them, and now the Biden administration is getting into the game. And that's the topic of the latest season of our investigative podcast, Uncommon Law, hosted by Matt Schwartz. Matt started looking into non-competes after the Federal Trade Commission put forth a huge proposal earlier this year that would enact an almost total ban on these employment clauses. The proposal is huge not just because any time a federal agency bans something, it's a big deal, but also because, based on a recent estimate, roughly one in five American workers are bound by a non-compete. Here's a clip from the first episode of this Uncommon Law series that goes into more detail.
1: Non-compete agreements are everywhere but they're particularly common in certain industries. Maybe industries you wouldn't expect, like styling hair. Roughly 30% of hairstylists or so have non-compete agreements. This is Evan Starr, a professor at the University of Maryland. He has a PhD in economics from the University of Michigan, and he is one of the leading scholars on non-compete agreements. It's common in most client-facing industries. In the hairstylist context, you have clients who come to visit you. And the firm may not want those clients to leave with you. I guess it makes sense because someone might develop a relationship with their particular stylist. Exactly, exactly. And you don't care what company they work for. You just trust that individual. I mean, how many people would go to the
2: ends of the earth to find the person that they trust to cut their hair, you know, or handle their money, right? We get right out of high school, have a year of education. And when we want to start a new job, we have this legal document in front of us that we don't know what it says. We're just told, hey... If you don't sign this, you don't have a job. This can't be right. She can't own these people. She can't own me. She can't hijack my career. That's Emily
1: Olson, a hairstylist from Minnesota.
2: And at the time of my employment, I signed a non-compete that said for five miles, one year, from all locations, I could not do hair, same or similar services. And um down the line they switched the non-compete to be 10 miles for 1 year from any location. And that was common for any of the stylists, massage therapists, anybody that works there. A
1: few years later, she took on a management role, which came with a new, even stricter agreement.
2: 25 miles for 2 years. That's not
1: just 25 miles. That's 25 miles from any of the stores.
2: Not just the one that I did hair out of, which is crazy.
1: The end result is basically a circle 65 miles in diameter where Ms. Olson simply couldn't get work as a stylist.
2: This included the entire Twin Cities area and the surrounding area. If she tried? There was a lot of fear kind of installed in people saying, well, don't go anywhere because you're going to get sued.
1: Not. Everyone who left found themselves in court, but some of
2: them did. The ones that leave are made an example of.
0: That was the first episode of Matt Schwartz's new season of our investigative podcast, Uncommon Law. Definitely, definitely go check it out. The FTC is scheduled to cast a final vote on its non-compete proposal sometime next year, But as Matt also lays out in the podcast, it's not at all clear that the agency even has the authority to do this. You know what that means. The second the ink dries on that vote, it's going to court. But now it looks like the Biden administration is taking out something of an insurance policy, just in case the FTC's non-compete ban gets tossed. Last week, the General Counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, Jennifer Abruzzo, released a memo saying she thinks non-competes violate federal labor law and will start enforcing that law accordingly. So now we have two federal agencies moving on parallel tracks on more or less the same issue. What's going on here? To find out, I got one of our labor reporters, Bobby Ayafola, into our studio to get the scoop, and I asked him what exactly Abruzzo's memo said.
3: So uh, Abruzzo said in a memo that was sent out to all her top lieutenants out in the field uh, that non-competes violate the National Labor Relations Act, except for in rare occasions. Her argument is basically centered around a section of the National Labor Relations Act called Section 7 uh, that protects the ability for workers to uh, organize, join unions, and generally
0: work together uh, to improve the terms and conditions of employment. And so if you have a non-compete, I guess that means that that would hurt organizing uh, leverage. That's right. That's
3: right. Uh, The problem, uh, as she argues, is that
0: non-competes
3: can deny... A worker's ability to quit or to find new employment that they would otherwise be uh, qualified for. So that sort of uh, inhibits this sort of Section 7 protected activity because you can imagine scenarios and she outlined scenarios where uh, workers wouldn't be able to,
0: say, threaten to quit or to quit as a group. H- has the NLRB ever used this reasoning in, in other areas? Like have they said that this other business practice needs to be banned because it impinges on um, you know, worker leverage?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a um, sort of a framework that's used in a, uh, the board used it in a recent decision about um, severance agreements. The same sort of idea that if the severance agreements, depending on how they're crafted, if they would inhibit
0: a worker's Section 7 rights, then they would be uh, violative of the law. Okay, getting back to non-competes, let's talk about the uh, timing here. When could this take effect? Is this this taking effect now, or is this something that will not take effect for months or years? Right now, right now. um, And the reason for that is a little bit complicated, because
3: the NLRB is a little bit complicated. Um, So basically, Abruzzo's memo is not binding, it's not precedential. It's just her view of what the law should be, but she's got a few different roles as general counsel of the NLRB. Uh, One of them is to act as a prosecutor in unfair labor practice cases, and another part of her role is to um, direct the development of the law. With this memo, she's announced that if there's a charge related to a non-compete agreement that her field offices investigate, they'll issue a complaint targeting that non-compete, and that will trigger uh, potentially costly litigation. If the board agrees with her legal theory, you could get judgments that would require an employer to uh,
0: compensate the affected employee. I see. So that's why it takes effect so fast, because this is not a proposal from Abruzzo saying we should enact this new rule. This is just her saying this is how I interpret the law and this is how I'm going to enforce the law moving forward.
3: That's right. That's right. You know, there's a long process at the NLRB. So the cases, they get investigated, issuance of a complaint, then it gets litigated before an administrative law judge, then it gets litigated before the board. And then these board decisions are subject to appeal in federal circuit courts. So it's it's quite complicated. But the
0: short story is that uh, employers need to be aware of this right now. Yeah. Um, when I first heard about this, I was really confused as to why the NLRB is taking this on right now. Because, you know, the FTC, as we already heard at the top of the podcast, is also taking this on. So I just thought there'd be some weird duplicative action here, but you and Dan Papskin recently wrote a story that actually explained what's going on pretty well. Can you explain the concept of a you know backstop regulation and how the NLRB is kind of acting as almost a fail-safe? Uh, what's going on there?
3: Yeah, so the idea here is you have these two agencies and they have these enforcement efforts that are overlapping, but they're also independent of one another. So the FTC, they're doing some case-by-case enforcement of uh, non-competes, but the real action for the FTC is this proposed rule that would essentially ban non-competes. So now you have the NLRB also policing non-competes. So if the FTC's final rule, when they finally issue it, I guess sometime next year is the expectation, if that rule gets held up in
0: court or killed in court, um, that doesn't affect what the NLRB is doing. Yeah. And as, uh, Matt has talked about at length in, in his podcast, uh, it's very unclear whether the FTC even has the authority to do this. You know, that's one of the big questions about whether they can go so far as to ban all non competes So it, it makes sense that they'd want maybe an insurance policy to be able to, uh, you know, ban non-competes in a I guess, sort of lower risk way. Is that kind of what's going on?
3: Yeah, I think that's an aspect to it, sort of a a belt and suspenders approach.
0: Great analogy. Uh, Finally, though, I want to get your opinion on something. Um, You know, there are now two federal agencies that are working on non-competes. The Biden administration clearly thinks this is a very big priority. And, you know, if 20 percent of the workforce is covered by these agreements, I can understand why. But two agencies, that's a lot of. Time, a lot of resources. Why is the Biden administration making this such a big priority? Yeah, so
3: uh, it's a great question. Um, There's a couple layers going on, or a few layers going on here. First, uh, Biden has been uh, talking a lot about competition being uh, a hallmark of quote unquote healthy capitalism. So last summer, for example, he issued this uh, pretty sweeping executive order on competition. It created a a White House competition council. Um, It drafted in a whole bunch of agencies, you know, HHS, agriculture, labor, transportation, the CFPB, on and on, uh, all to be part of this uh, whole-of-government approach to the issue. Uh, So the NLRB and FTC's efforts on non-competes is just one part of that broader competition effort.
0: I see. So it's you know it's antitrust in general, and the Biden administration sees this as something that's exacerbating the antitrust problem writ large.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I also have to add that um, just generally, there's been growing awareness and knowledge about the potential negative consequences linked to uh, non-competes, um, particularly after there was this very high profile litigation over these uh, the Jimmy John sandwich shop. Um, yes. Non competes. And then during the Obama administration, they went ahead and issued a, a call to states to um, increase policing of non competes. And during the Trump administration, they got in on the action as well. For example, they had this big report that was talking about how to uh, basically fix up the uh, healthcare industry. And part of that was non competes, where non competes are, are quite common you know, the big difference now with the Biden administration is they've made this uh, an issue for the federal government rather than just leaving it
0: to the states. Right. Um, So that makes sense that this, this fits, you know, into a broader theme of the administration, which is increasing competition, you know, going after, I guess, monopolistic tactics, or if not monopolistic, then anti-competitive tactics. Um, Is there anything else going on here, though? I mean, it, it seems like you know, the president also has some would say soft spot for labor rights and for worker rights. Although, you know, whether people in the labor movement would agree that he's followed through on that is another story. But, you know, is that part of what's happening here? Is that this is like, you know, Biden putting a thumb on the scale of, of workers because that's where his, his loyalties lie?
3: Uh, There's definitely something to that. Um, I'm not sure if it's so much a a thumb on the scale as much as uh, a policy focus. The administration is is focused on labor issues. The administration is focused on antitrust issues. And uh, non-compete agreements is an area where those two policy areas
0: overlap. I see. So it's just sort of a natural fit for what the administration wants to do anyway. I think that's right. That was Bloomberg Law labor reporter, Bobby Iafola. Before that, you heard a clip of the new season of our podcast, Uncommon Law, hosted by Matt Schwartz. Definitely check that out. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
2: I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here.
0: My executive order
2: calls
1: on the FTC ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses.
2: Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive, they can be exploitative.
1: We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit.
2: I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right, this can't be fair. How can she get away with this?
1: And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat.
2: I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules and you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry. Plus, does the
1: FTC under chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass this rule?
2: Look,
3: Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition.
1: There is no limit to
3: what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition.
2: Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets.
1: Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle that could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.